When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm going to ask for a quick uh, bio break here. I do need to use the restroom. Mm-hmm. Just leave things recording and uh, convene back. If it's like five minutes, I might make myself a cup of tea. So I'll be right back as yeah, well. Yeah, definitely. Oh, I might do the same. Uh, yeah. Everybody now has to make tea. Important. Uh, but I want more coffee. Mm, too bad. Coffee is just tea made with coffee. <laughs> Oh, you sly dog. (laughs) That's a thinker. Who's this, uh, who's this person that you know, Travis? Well, they're a, a, you know, a doctor, but for spooky stuff. I don't know. I, st- I still like the term a metaphysician. Metaphysician, that. that's it. A metaphysician. <laughs> <laughs> metaphysician is extremely good. Okay, well, also, uh, I guess, sorry for my asking, but I have to ask because any gestures to Travis up and down. Mm-hmm. Does this person want to kill you? Excellent question, <laughs> Jonnet. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I I'm will learning. show you where their office is, and then I will wait elsewhere. Okay. And All right. <laughs> okay. Great. Now, a follow-up question. Do we mention that we know you? If we say your name, will that, will that get us a, a, a foot in the door or our foot crushed in the door? Hmm. Jonnet, another excellent question. Uh-huh. Uh, James, how long do you think it's been since Travis has been here? I am going to say that the last time you were here, uh, it was actually fairly, mm, it's hard to say because the last time you were here is the last time you saw your changeling friend when you knew they were a changeling. Because as we recall, you used to run cons with this person and then you sort of like lost touch with them, went their separate ways. And then years and years and years into the future, you saw them run a similar game on the street. You don't even know if they saw you, but you knew because they hadn't aged that they must also have been a changeling. This is something that is sort of relevant that I just thought of. Because this place is, you know, slightly French. Is it possible mm-hmm. oh, that this is French. this is where Travis or where Travis got the name Travis Madigo? Ooh, mm. I think so. Ooh. I think it must be. <laughs> 
Oh, tra- Oh, Johnny? Yeah. Johnny? Yeah. I'm going to establish this. Whoever this metaphysician is, you bought the name Travis Maddox. Oh, that's very them. fun. <laughs> bought? <laughs> yeah, I think I think they cooked it for you. Oh. I think that's how it happened. That's very cool. That it has to be a convincing identity. It has to be something that people instinctually associate with you with. So there is a kind of magic ceremony that they needed to give you a real pseudonym. Because hmm. before that, you had been Trevor McRib, which <laughs> didn't mm-hmm. stick to you as quite as no. well. Mm. Doesn't stick to the ribs. It means it's an alternate TM. I, I, I guess this also means that like dead naming does not exist in setting because mm. you can literally have it set so people recognize your actual name from jump with no issues i i kind of think that it is definitely less frequent because we do know that transition is is so much more common in this setting to Mm. the point where the line between being trans uh, as part of your experience and changing your appearance through uh uh heart root t like it's hard to tell where that begins and ends but like certainly changing your name would be a part of it and I, I think certain cultures and regions do have a way to change your name on a more fundamental level that makes it like if somebody were to dead name you it is not like a it's not an accident like you would know mm. I I ate the soup this is my name so you say to the, this to me to spit in my face fuck you oof mm-hmm. oof <laughs> I ate the soup is a very funny <laughs> thing to say. Um, I have picked your name's a soup. It's I also guess. like you're yeah. saying it alphabet as, as a point of like prize. Like, no, no, motherfucker. I, I ate the soup. soup. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that all kind of makes me think, though, like when I like lost the name Jolly Jack, like for a while, yeah. I imagine... Mm-hmm like if that sort of thing happens you either like kind of weirdly don't have an identity and you're just sort of like a blank person or you're using like really flimsy your trevor mcribs and stuff like that (laughs) yeah i i kind of think when you bet the name jolly jack you didn't think like you didn't make an ocus for jolly jack Mm. so you had kind of assumed that whatever gambling you were doing was less real than it was but like you walked away and you tried to use the name jolly jack for a while and people like would look at you and goes that sounds fake as fuck what's your name (laughs) (laughs) well john after a lot of thinking uh, i wouldn't mention my name great cool thanks but here's the thing oh i'm sure i'm sure it's gonna come up you know (laughs) (laughs) okay look try not try not to but if you do you do and we'll we'll just work through it it as friends we'll figure it out (laughs) i i kind of feel like john you've you've known travis long enough this sounds like a situation where he doesn't remember the condition (laughs) that he left i mean truly oh it's so vague (laughs) Actually, if I if I may, if if I may, because as as always, I'm here to help you. <laughs> I will instead of leaving rudely. I'll just sit on your shoulder as a nice, kind, friendly bird, 
offering words of advice and encouragement throughout the transaction. Ooh. And so, so you've pulled in at night. So Travis, what you are suggesting is that you are going to change on purpose. Yes. I feel like Ooh. that that immediately makes Jonnet uh <laughs> his his eyes widen, but he's like trying to keep it cool. And so he like just gets like a, a like a smirk on his face, and then he's like, All right, well then he like points to his shoulder and like <laughs> hop on. <laughs> <laughs> Do, can you remind me, do I have to drink something to change? So there are two things. Um, first of all, in order to change, uh, you have to uh, to change without pain. You need to have some heart root tea that incorporates a part of yourself. That can be blood. That can be bone. That can be whatever. Uh, that can be hair. Basically, the the more difficult it is to take it from yourself, the more pain you will spare yourself for uh, for changing form. Uh, However, in order to change outside of your normal cycle, you need permission from the queen. Oh, damn it. Um, And the reason that you might have made like this specific offer at this specific time is technically... You're here at the queen's behest. That's true. If you need to be a raven to do this job for the queen, it shouldn't cost anything to do it. Yeah, I'm doing her a solid. She can do me a solid. Mm-hmm. My bird don't cost a thing. Can keep moving. <laughs> and I think since we're since we're in a hurry, I'm not worried about the pain. Let's just let's just grip it and rip it. Rad. I, I just want to know how does Travis commune with the queen like i imagine there is like a small ceremony or ritual that you you would use to really implore your mother quote unquote Mm. to for for permission to do what you need to do uh i I picture william you know going you can render me a rat but yeah what is the what is the magical methodology i think he so i think two things have to happen he has to like hold his ocus and Mm -hmm. While he's holding it, like, shuffle up his cards and draw a card. And basically, if the queen is, like, willing to to chat, it'll be the queen. And if she's not, mm. it won't be. And, like... That's cool. Depending on what the card mm-hmm. is that gets drawn, that's kind of, like, the, um... <laughs> what her away message is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so would you like me to draw a luminary for you right now? Yeah, I mean, I feel like that'd be fun. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work, and then we'll have to figure it out. Yeah. I All feel right. like... Um, the odds of it being the queen would be very, very low. I know, but and, the cards yeah, but, are haunted, and it is legally but, Halloween mm, right now. The, mm. the, yeah, and the away message could be like... Uh, Whatever you know. want, go for mm-hmm. it. Like, I'm busy. Yeah. Well, it, I That's mean, cool. like, based on the luminary that, that pulls up, it could be like a, a real thing. Mm-hmm. All right. I am going to pull from the deck. I have closed my eyes. Real quick. That makes me think that there was maybe a time when Travis wanted to, needed to talk to the the Forest Queen and like like took like halved the deck of Illimat and then it's like okay I'm, I'm doing it and it's like and still like couldn't draw the right card. <laughs> yeah. But put put took like looked through the cards, saw the Forest Queen, put it on top mm-hmm. of the deck, then pulled it from the top of the deck and it's not her. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Um, but I, I have drawn a card. 
Wow. <laughs> that can't be real. Wow. Fuck off. Uh, okay. Good. Very good. I'm happy. Great. Good uh, job. Good job, mm-hmm. everybody. <laughs> there, I don't know how many luminaries there are, but whatever. It was the forest. Queen. Whoa. Um, that happens that's her Lex this happens 99% of the time like whatever card we need is just the one that we get oh wow yeah yeah that's really cool it has been happening that way for three Mm. to four years wow (laughs) I'm just I'm not gonna think about it I'm not gonna think about it so yeah she's there like you pull I think you pull the card And you can Mm -hmm. tell just looking at the art of the card. You know, the art never changes. Maybe it's just the way Mm. that you perceive it that does. But you can tell that she's listening. As I'm, of course, here on... uh, In your service, I ask a favor that in order to uh, help you, you help me. Let me change now, real quick. (laughs) And... You can feel, you you can just feel a freedom that you hadn't before. So are we, are we still walking down? Where are we right now? I am going to say that like this area of the city is like a flooded out area that basically floating docks have been built on top of. So this is like one of the filled craters that people are just like, we'll just keep building until we're here again until we're living here there's the brackish water beneath but like yeah this place is just a bunch of of docks and like some things that are boats some things that are built on top of the docks some things that are built onto stilts like it, it, it's this almost covered market of a city um i think what i want to do so first of all i will say thank you to the queen i will put you know put everything back in my pockets and then, um, uh, John, could I have a boost? And I want to do the thing where, you know, you like put your hands kind of like this and someone like steps into it. Mm-hmm. And I want to like step into Jonna's hands and have him like kind of fling me up and then like land onto his shoulder as a bird. I, Dang. I love this, especially because, hang on, I gotta, I feel like John, it needs to roll because you're heavier than John, it. But I'm gonna get I'm gonna get lighter as I turn okay. into a bird. Yeah, yeah. So it's like as I yeah I feel like John is pointing it to his f- shoulder. You say give him a boost, and he's like, uh, okay. And so he's expecting to like fully barrel over <laughs> at your weight, but then like as you as he starts to like apply force, he's like. Uh, he, John at things like, oh man, I've been working out, even though he hasn't, <laughs> and so he flings you up in the air. Now I do like this, Travis. You have opted to not drink your tea to to lighten the pain, <laughs> and you are also transforming so much faster, near instantaneously, which to me <laughs> that signifies that the pain oh, yeah. of transformation is magnified. So I do think, like you drew the forest queen, I have to respect that. It is a wild coincidence. Obviously, you transform at the speed and convenience, and with the style that you want. Want, but you immediately pass out from the excruciating <laughs> agony of the transformation. So you just bounce off of Jonnet's shoulder. <laughs> it goes from like no. a blood curdling human scream to just like a bird. 
<laughs> and then John, it catches you. You know what? This is probably good. This is probably for... <laughs> He's going to just kind of hold on to Travis, uh, give him the time that he needs. <laughs> Maybe just grab a little like spritz of water and like s- spritz it on Travis. But we're going to keep it moving. Yeah. I would like to actually do a, a, a cut to this person's like place of business. And, you know, this is a time where we are blending the past and the future together. So at first, what we see is a younger Travis Matigo, which of course looks identical to our current Travis Matigo, standing in front of this place in its full glory. We can see a shot of it over his shoulder where we can see the white of his hair kind of blurry in the the forefront of the frame. And we can see this business as like it it is more freshly established. What does the facade of, of this place look like? A metaphysician. Oh, I think it, I feel like it's really easy to miss. Like Mm. it, it blends in really well unless you're looking for it. I, I've been thinking about the term metaphysician and like kind of how down to earth practical and almost boring it is. And I've also been thinking about like being an anti-colonial show and and that's kind of our goal. The ways in which depictions of like cultures that are not Western cultures are kind of exotified. What if metaphysician is like taking what to a, a lot of us would be very familiar kind of like Western imagery and exotifying it? To like, you know, how how we think of like a spiritual doctor or whatever, like the weird like snake staff in medicine or whatnot, like that is supposed to be a spooky symbol of secret Uh, knowledge. Like Mm. a, you know, like a barbershop pole, how it's got like the stripes. Yes. Yeah. Mm. What if it's like, uh, I don't know, some weird spooky version of like a barber what if it's a barber pole with the snakes yeah a hundred percent and like they're Mm -hmm. always going up yeah the the cane or or whatever yeah the pole that's cool yeah (laughs) yeah and and, and like yeah so it it also the architecture of this place is clearly different like we we know how in some of the classic chinatown restaurants whether you're in chicago or or new york or san francisco how it's supposed to be presenting a a more like traditional architecture from from another place it is doing that with uh, just a modest kind of boring (laughs) yeah exactly strip malls (laughs) oh fuck it's It's just like a strip Strip mall dentist office. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Of the wild lady. Yes. It is this shitty, boring dentist office Uh of a place. Um, It's like how in the monsters, they're all spooky monsters and they're like, oh, it sucks that we have this like fucked up niece who's just like a beautiful, normal woman. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh, I pity Mm. her. But like, yeah, you we, we see this place that like has the markers of of a doctor 
doctor's office. Like it, it, it does look very, very doctorial, but but the architecture is clearly different. Uh, it clearly looks out of place, but also out of place in a way that that looks boring. And that is what in a place like this uh, uh, appears as exotic. And then we like move behind like the, the white of Travis's hair and his head. And like it transitions from the white hair of the head of a man to the white feathers of a raven sitting on Jonnet's shoulders as we can see what this place looks like now. How the snake pole has stopped moving and like paint is clearly flaking off but it is still it is still this place just so much time has passed I guess Jonnet is kind of taking all this in and I mean the first thing that he's looking for is is there someone here oh, yeah there's a there's a, a spooky receptionist <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah you go inside and it is lit so much better than it appears to be on the inside than it does on the outside. Like mm-hmm. the outside, it looks like the windows are dim and dark. But as soon as you walk in, the lighting is like almost too bright. It's like the lanterns and whatnot are are just glowing fluorescent. Oh, um, I love that. It, just <laughs> re- regular ass candles that glow <laughs> with like fluorescent bulb. And then the flickering still makes sense. Yes. Yeah, and mm. like it, it buzz. The lighting definitely buzzes. Oh um, my god! You don't know how or why, but it buzzes. And hey, looking around at your friends, it sucks. This lighting absolutely sucks. You can tell more than you've ever been able to tell by looking at him that Oromar is dead because he looks so bad <laughs> in this lighting. <laughs> <laughs> We enter this office and chairs are, are kind of arranged in, in a circle. We, we can see a, a what w- would be a coffee table in the middle with magazines on it, which are just like these bits of reading material. It is like a, a exotified version of like what a magazine would be. So it's like highlights for kids, but weird and creepy. I feel like the magazines are all printed all the text is just lorium ipsum like mm. it, it just it just means Fuck. nothing but it's like oh wow <laughs> Uh, And, like, I do love how certain doctor's offices, especially the more specific your doctor's office is, like, if it is a specialty, the more likely they are to have, like, a model of the human body Mm -hmm. and and whatnot out. So, like, there are weird, like, teeth and whatnot, (laughs) but, like, they're clearly carved models. Like, these are not skulls or whatnot. Mm. And there, there might even be, like, anatomical drawings that like cover the walls but it's you know they are framed anatomical drawings that looks like art that you would see in a doctor's office and yes there is a receptionist and what I think a thing that strikes all of you is that this person is dressed a little bit like Dreth. I think <laughs> what we are learning that metaphysical dress is kind of like that that lab coat white that Dreth had hmm do you have an appointment? I, no, we were we were just trying to uh, speak to the uh, attending metaphysician. Let me check the schedule. Oh, the schedule. 
and they bring up this tome that is clearly just a list of names and times. And she runs her fingers down a page that's clearly just blank. It looks like I might be able to pencil you in. Please have a seat. Yes! Yes! We got it! It's these tiny, tiny couches, and Oromar <laughs> just sits on one <laughs> couch, just kind of like tilts slightly. Yeah, it's, like, it's like this, this mixture of the frame of the couch, and then also just like more sounds of squeaky leather than like has mm. any design, like, doesn't make sense. <laughs> Johnny, what, what is this person's name? The, the doctor? Yeah, what's the doctor's name? Oh, gosh. Would they... Hmm, I don't know. All I'm thinking is, like, <laughs> stupid shit. Um, <laughs> this is Dr. Kaplan. Dr. I'm Kaplan, just going that's to perfect. Use, <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. use a doctor name that is familiar to me. Like, you wait there for... like, And the, the spooky receptionist is, like, just sort of sitting there chewing gum and read we'll say reading a magazine to Mm -hmm. you it looks like laura mipsum but like you know she is clearly getting something out of this experience and after a couple minutes of you just sitting and waiting around she stands up walks behind somewhere in the office and then opens the door and goes the doctor's ready to see you now and leads you back to a separate room in this place that, you know, is a table that is like covered in beautiful, perfect paper. And there there are like chairs off to the side for the rest of your group. And there are jars full of like flattened sticks and bald pieces of cotton. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, like everything's just like got this slightly off Halloween vibe. And then after a few more minutes of waiting through the door, walks a man with curly hair and a big full 80s style mustache and a white coat. All right. Who here is is ready to expand? Oh, no, this sounds too much like the, the broker. God damn it. <laughs> All right, uh, who needs some uh, medical physicianal attending? Much uh, I, better. I am Dr. Kaplan, uh, a, a master of the ways of science and the knowledge of the body. <laughs> uh, perfect. Please, uh, Dr. Kaplan, we we require your vast expansive knowledge uh one of our uh we're new into town and one of our john is like piecing together like wait so real quick is ormar with mm-hmm. us yes yeah. okay ormar is, is currently with you yeah, yeah, yeah. gotcha all right so john doesn't look entirely as insane rolling up with a <laughs> passed out bird mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. two things um we need your help uh, reviving a, a fallen uh, sailor of ours. And also, my bird's asleep. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, well, when's the last time you had a physical? Uh, uh, I, uh, I don't, I've, I'd have never, I don't. All right, well, why don't you take off your shoes and hop up on that scale for me? <laughs> Orma rummages inside their coat and like flings the book that they were 
pouring over on the ship just onto i think a, a table in in this space open to the kind of like notes that they've taken so you know in this very clean 80s era medical office just an old ass tome leather bound dusty looking pages entirely out of art style with the rest of the space <laughs> yeah on top of the into. butcher paper here um <laughs> yeah you you th- you throw that down and the doctor calls out judy could you take this young boy's uh, uh weight measurement and blood pressure for me Hey heroes, it's James, your game master, and welcome to the mid-roll. Heroes, I have been kind of in a new parent fog for the last couple weeks, which means I've got some catch-up to do on some credits for the show. Uh, We have a guest for this arc. I am so excited. We got to record with Lex, the lexicon artist. Lex is a New York-based rapper who specializes in tracks that have a nerdy and intellectual edge to them. I feel like we really lucked out getting to work with this person, and you will definitely see why as this story unfolds. If you want to find Lex's work, you can head to thelexiconartist.com. That's thelexiconartist.com. There you can find tour dates, stream all of their music, find out where you can buy albums, see their videos, and of course pick up some merch. You can also follow them on Twitter over at LexTheConArtist. And if you do, be sure to tell them that you have loved hearing them on Skyjacks. Oh, and just so folks know when they are tweeting about the show and whatnot, uh, Lex's pronouns are they, them. We reached out to Lex because I needed someone to play Teacher Wei, the Liquid Sword Monk who is going to be joining us for this arc. And because the Liquid Swords are playing a huge part in this arc, I need to remind everyone that James Mendez Hodes is the person who created the Liquid Swords Monastery for the Skyjack setting. Be sure to follow Mendez over at Lula Vampiro, that's L-U-L-A Vampiro, over on Twitter. Again, a huge thanks to both Lex and Mendez for helping us out with this arc. Of course, that's real help for this arc. We are getting some quote-unquote help for this arc from my new boss, Project Falcon. For the most part, Project Falcon has met some delays in the release of episodes, and for that I apologize. I am still adjusting to this new dad schedule. However, Project Falcon is not going to just mean delays to the podcast. Uh, Project Falcon is a thing to be celebrated and welcomed, and I hope all of you are able to do that too, which is why I teamed up with master musician Arnie Parrott to create a brand new song for both Project Falcon and the Skyjacks universe. And listeners who are subscribed to our mailing list this Friday are going to get a preview of that song. So if you're not on the mailing list already, please head over to bit.ly slash skyjackscrew to sign up for the mailing list. And on Friday, you will receive in your inbox a brand new song, a sample from the second album. That's right. We're approaching getting enough music to release the second album of the Skyjack soundtrack. So yeah, on Friday, as you're enjoying this new tune, be sure to spare some kind thoughts for Project Falcon, who is the reason that you're hearing it. Um, And before we do that, we have to do Patreon thank yous. Margaret Boyle, thank you. 
Alia Ounce, thank you so much. Marsha Moores, thank you very much. Brett Raleigh, thank you. Eliza Hiller, thank you so much. Danielle Childress, thank you. John, thank you very much. Matthew Universe, thank you. Karen Loretta, thank you very much. Julius the Burb Nurb, thank you. Dustin Denny, thank you so much. Ricky Arturo, thank you very much. Schlons, thank you. Dirty Stocks, thank you so much. Parachute Cannon, thank you. Alex Indigo, thank you very much. Optim Pegasus, thank you. Philip Wilking, thank you so much. Catherine Finn, thank you very much. Regina Chang, thank you so much. Arlo Lee, thank you. Christina Kovar, thank you so much. Soul, thank you. Ben Turner, thank you very much. And True Crocker, thank you. Thanks again to everyone who supports us on Patreon. We wouldn't be able to make these shows without you. Folks, if you're not back in the show already, please head over to patreon.com slash one-shot podcast and sign up to be a backer. Uh, we do need to keep our backer numbers up above a certain level in order to produce this show on the weekly. I know it's early on in the year and, and people are worried about taxes and whatnot. I totally respect and understand that. But if you've been listening to the show for a while and you haven't checked us out yet, I recommend it. Uh, there's a lot of really cool bonus content on there and I am sure you will enjoy it. Now then, with all of that out of the way, let's get back in the sky! Jonathan is being attended to by Judy. Mm. Um... But the doctor turns to Oromar and holds up, like, has this stick that, like, he produces a flame into and it focuses the light into, again, a a similar quality of light to the fluorescence that, like, is Mm -hmm. throughout this room. It buzzes and it is a light that he holds in front of your face. Now, if you can follow this light with just your eyes. Oh my God. Okay. So we're leaning into full comedy here. So Mm -hmm. Oromar looks at Dr. Kaplan, like slowly raises an eyebrow because I guess because it's it's obvious that this person has the same profession as Dreff, mm-hmm. as a metaphysician. So one Oromar's right eye emerges from its socket, still nerves attached to the back of the head, and just moves parallel oh. <laughs> in free space following the uh, like if it, the the fact that the cap Dr. Kaplan did not immediately look at Oromar in the face and be like, holy shit, this man's dead. Just to- what, what what I what I think what I think it is is mm. I, I would I'm gonna keep the comedy of this because I do love this, but I, I would like to change it just a slight bit. I would sure, love sure. for, for Oromar to begin trying to reflexively lock his eyes onto this thing. Mm. And one of the things that you are encountering is that you have done a lot of your perceiving through like spiritual spaces. Like you are Mm. using your eyes, but you're also using your, your 
for lack of a better term, astral sight to take in the world around you. And there are things that you haven't bothered to make your eye muscles do or reprogram Mm. your eye muscles for, like simple tracking movement. So you struggle to try and move your eyes to chase this light. And like, I do think it hits the point where it pops out and mm. you're like possessing the eyeball and floating and physically it. moving the eyeball around because that's easier than trying yeah we, we get a shot a close shot of Oromar's eye levels as the eyes independently kind of whirl around from each other not as if they were looking at the same target but just kind of free spinning for a while before one kind of gets a bit too rowdy falls out of the eye socket and Oromar's like actually that's easier and just moves the eyeball around <laughs> Uh, yeah, and and Doctor Kaplan so, sort of like looks at that, and uh, like I think holding it like that spiritually, like you don't have as much of a sense of physical space, which is why the eye eventually pops out mm-hmm. of, of the socket. You're as a ghost holding it, and it disconnects from the body, and like you didn't mean to do that. Kaplan sees that and like writes a note on a pad. Uh huh. I see. I see. And then he'll like gr- go over to Travis. The 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 knocked out bird and like lay that bird on the butcher paper and then pull out something that looks like a small rubber hammer from his coat of various tools and knocks Travis on the leg. It twitches and moves and he'll go, "Uh uh-huh, interesting, interesting. And then Judy will hand over to Dr. Kaplan uh, the height and weight that they've taken from Jonnet. And of course, like the scale looks like a doctor's office scale where it has like this counterbalanced thing, but like the it's dressed up a little bit. There are more wheels and dials and whatnot. And like the measuring stick, like again, like pulls out of that central piece. And there's like a little top that they hook out onto it to bring to the the top of the thing that Judy uses to write down the measurements. Like Dr. Kaplan takes all of this information, uh, refers back to his notes and goes, okay, uh, so my diagnosis, your friend is a changeling. Your parent or guardian here appears to be dead, (laughs) and you have somewhere to be. So that's the diagnosis that I'm getting from your physical. Uh, Tell me. John, it's like, John is like, uh, no, he's alive, and this is a bird. (laughs) Are you you getting a good amount of sleep? No. (laughs) Uh, What about exercise? Does fighting for my life count? It, it does. It can. It can. Okay, uh, it's yeah, a yeah. typically more stressful type of exercise than we recommend. Yeah. Um, how, how, how would you say your diet is? Are you eating okay? Um, it's mostly uh, ship glop and... Um, ship glop. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Now we can uh, send your parent or guardian out of the room for this part if you prefer. No, 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 no. But no, are no, you no. sexually active? Uh, n- no. Uh, no? no. Okay. That that's and I want to remind you that's completely normal for a boy your age. It's totally fine. Nothing to worry about. But if you ever do need to talk to someone about it, Dr. Kaplan, a doctor, a metaphysician, you can always trust to talk to about things like that. Um Thanks. <laughs> I'm I'm also kind of getting from this. You are a, a seer. So you might have a spiritual eye that connects you to the universe at large. John puts his hand over his head. No, no, uh-uh. Just, 
a kid. Now, now listen, I'm a doctor. I am. You actually, you know what? I am sexually don't... active and I want to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. Uh, Orima's uh, free eye, like, looks at Jonet <laughs> in, like, mild surprise. Now, did you want your dead guy to be in the room to talk about that or? Um. Uh, Hang on one second. Uh, he takes the rubber mallet and he knocks Travis in the beak to wake him up. Ah! What? <laughs> I mean, what? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> uh, okay. All right. Well, um, the rumors are true. You are all knowing and all seeing, as everyone has always sung your praises of. As my degree states. And we can see one of those framed like, <laughs> uh, degrees on the wall. <laughs> you went to university. <laughs> the other location we'll be visiting after Dominion. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think Orma um, just, I think, picks up Travis and uh, with a free hand uh, signs to Dr. Kaplan if you need to have a conversation with Mr. Kessler, please do so. But there is a separate matter at hand. Gestures to the book. Fully not aware whether Dr. Claplin can speak sign language or not. But he's not in a position to talk physically right now. So I I, I think he would be able to. I mean, we've established that like uh the the hand sign that sailors speak is is pretty common. And I feel mm. like Dr. Kaplan is somebody who would be, you know, familiar with that. Mm. Uh Travis, now that you have woken back up, you can see the the balding man in front of you who has salt and pepper like curly hair and a lot more salt than pepper in his mustache. It's very different than the much younger man with with very dark hair that you had originally met. But this is Dr. Kaplan's office. This is the man who made your name for you. So are you uh going to Talk about sex or whatever, and should we leave? I, 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 uh, I'm not, I'm not sexually active. I just didn't really want to talk about the eye, but the eye's there, and I do see, and you, you got that right. Yeah, huh? Yeah, yeah. I'm again. I'm a doctor, so I would know that sort of thing. So it seems like we got a lot going on here, young fella. You've got somewhere to be. It's out in the swamp. I can write you a script if you'd like. Yes. Please prescribe me direction. Uh, He pulls out a little pad and writes down something that is like almost completely incomprehensible. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It rips it off and gives it to you. Just uh, bring that up to Judy at the front. Uh, You you know, you've you really don't have much time to get there, but you got to get there. So we we need you there. John looks at the paper, looks at Oromar and Travis. I got to go. And he runs, Judy! Miss Judy! (laughs) All right, gentlemen, gentlemen, you, I think you're a previous client, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, No, I'm a different bird. Okay, and I've got here that you're a liar. Um, 
sir, I have to say that this is not an office where we practice necromancy. Uh, I don't do resurrections. I could try to refer you to a specialist, but again, we charge more. In in kind of like again gesturing to to the book, we have a crew member who needs direct attention. We uh-huh. have our previous research, so at least preliminary. Preliminary is a very complicated idea to do in sign. Um, first steps of research. Oromar signs made. all of that. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. too complicated. Starts, starts the sign preliminary. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, the, the doctor glances down at the book. Well, it looks to me like your fellow crew member was trying to bind like material through a divine process. Uh, so if they're experiencing something from that, I mean, gosh, that shouldn't go wrong uh, normally, I'd say. Uh, it might be... Uh, Tell me, does your friend uh, uh, consume unfamiliar things? Like, are they the type of person, if they see something on the ground, they're they're just going to pick it up and take a bite out of it? I'd say almost exclusively. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, I, I think yes, but does not say anything. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna assume that they've taken something into their being or essence that kind of overwhelmed them, and they're just passed out a little bit with a good, a good bit of bed rest uh, and some fluids. They're gonna be back up in no time. Now, I can write them a script. Uh, uh, again, this is just gonna be uh, something for pain, but uh, you know, if they're experiencing any pain, it should help them with that for a little bit. When you say binding like together, could you give an example? Um, sure. So, uh, let's say you. Uh, this is really kind of a rudimentary thing. Let's say you you had a this jar, for instance. He takes mm-hmm. the the jar and tosses it on the ground, and then like gathers up the fragments and places them on top of the binding circle in the book. He then takes one of uh, one of those like sticks that they use for blood samples in mm-hmm. uh, the office, like pricks his finger a little bit, and a tiny bit of blood drips down on top of that. And he mutters something in the divine language, and the fragments of the jar form back together. All of those things used to be part of the same thing. And with a, a circle like this, through the divine way, you'd be able to bind them back together. If that makes sense. Aramar uh, nods and uh, thinks of the stone that uh, Travis and Jonnet found and uh, signs. I have no idea what object our crew member was trying to recombine, but that information is very useful. We can ask them for details once they have received appropriate bed rest. Thank you. Now, but before uh, before you go, it does look like one of you has a debt that needs to be set. <laughs> oh, Cap- Orma blinks. <laughs> Captain, you gotta pay up. You can't let these things go. I was referring to you, sir. Hmm? Not with me. Don't worry. I mean, you know, you can talk to Judy at the front and we'll get your insurance and 
get that sorted out. Um, I do mean with, it looks like the forest queen based on your height and weight and the shape <laughs> of your skull. Um, yes. Well, yeah, mm-hmm. I do. And that's, that's why I'm here is to pay the debt and, you know, we have an you understanding. You need a script? No, 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 I'm not pay. I'm not paying for that. So you know where to go. I know how this works, and you know you're just gonna try and con me out of some more of my money when it should all be free. And I'm not gonna let you. I'm not gonna pay you to write something that I can't even read on a piece of paper. Hey, nobody wants universal spiritual care more than I do. Okay. I, I hate seeing a pres- mm-hmm. uh, 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 patients go into debt just because they need their vaccines, okay? I, I, I No one hates that more than me. That's neither here nor there. I'm asking you, would you like a script? I can, I can tell you where your marks are, where you need to be uh, in order to hit them, and it'll be smooth sailing for you. No. No. <laughs> I can find it on my own. Okay. Okay. How's that name been treating you? It's good. It's great, even. Probably, quite honestly, the best one I've had. Well, you know, I do good work. I do good work. I like my work. Well, if there's anything else that you need from me, now's a good time to uh, bring it up. Otherwise, mm. I can, uh, you know, write up, have Judy uh, assess your bill, and then you're, you're off, Ski. Wait, that sounds great, but we, we will not be paying. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you will. I'll have to send you to collections if you don't pay. So I adore the idea that the Bandari people have the equivalent of the NHS, and all of this is very novel to Oromo. Um, <laughs> well, you know, the thing is, the thing is, even if you send me to collections, it can't go on your credit score if it's a medical debt. I mean, it'll go against your name. Well, then I could just change it again, can't I? No doctor is going to change your name for you if you've got debt against Look, your name. Come on. William and Jolly Jack and Taco Bandito and everyone else that I've been has racked up <laughs> thousands and thousands of dollars of medical debt. <laughs> That's the primary reason that Travis changes his name. <laughs> I, I was trying to need remember. The healthcare, you can't die. I. <laughs> oh, he needs the meta healthcare. Yeah, that's yeah. the thing. That's true. That's true. That's true. You, your body might re, might regenerate, but uh, it sits poorly with your spirit. I suppose. <laughs> um, For the record, I was trying to remember Trevor McRib. Um, and you but came I said, up with. I mean, Tucker Bandido was roasting But that's. Good. I enjoyed that. That's canon now unfortunately (laughs) Uh, i like how travis hits like every fifth this explains so much of why travis needed to go out and buy a name because he's like i don't know trevor mcrib stop asking stop asking me i'm taco bandito (laughs) yeah no armand doesn't have any additional any additional stuff i think i think because i'm already carrying travis mid-argument of the kind of like, I refuse this script. We're just kind of like slowly receding from this weird liminal space. Like we're having this argument in like the corridor between the yes. reception and the medical room. And it just looks like every liminal space photography that you see on Twitter is we're being slowly <laughs> escorted out uh-huh. of the building mid-argument. 
I would like to cut over to to Jonnet like a couple mm. moments ago, like heading back to the front desk with Judy, who, upon being handed this incomprehensible tiny sheet of paper, takes it in, moves to the back uh, with shelves and grabs a bag that just has Jonnet Kessler written on it and slides it across the desk. Do you need any instructions? Have you taken this before? No. Please help. Simple. I recommend taking it on a full stomach, otherwise you're going to get a tummy ache. And those pills can be a bastard to swallow, so make sure that you've got something to drink. These are pills? Yeah, they're pills. They'll, they're, they're a script. They'll show you the way. Okay. And he goes, <laughs> he grabs the pills, and then <laughs> he runs out the door and then looks for like the closest, like... Bodega. Oh, can, or... there, can there be a water cooler in, in the Oh, there has to be. Yeah. Yes. It's, it's like... a water cooler. <laughs> and he, he like presses the valve and then it like gurgles up and then he, he like ah freaks out. <laughs> <laughs> and then he's like, okay, okay, okay. And then he gets the water. And then thank you, Judy. And he, he goes out looking for like a, a bag of chips or something to take. Yeah, you you head out. I don't think it's hard no. for you to find some like popcorn shrimp or, or something in a stand on the side. And again, the Uhuru crew is flush with cash at this moment. So you grab the popcorn shrimp and you, you know, think about like, like it, it, you, you are like trying to figure out what is going on with all that, because everything to you has been a novel experience in that. Um, and slowly your eye starts to open. It doesn't feel the way it does when it flickers open or when you intentionally work to open it. This feels like if you've ever got your eyes dilated at the optometrist, sort of like that dull, this is happening, I almost can't feel it, but I still feel it, and that feels weird sort of way. And you see a path for yourself in the universe one that is extremely easy and natural to follow. And I, I think we get a montage of like Jonnet walking along this pathway uh, kind of reflexively. You know, you walk down the dock, you, you get on a ferry, you move from one dock to another, and there's this long walk that seems to go by very quickly that takes you to the outskirts of town, where you now look up at a rock, kind of in the middle of the swamp, as you are parting ways with a ferry person who has a long pole they are using to push along the bottom of the ground of this swamp. And they go, are you sure you want to get off here, son? I'm the most sure of this as anything in my entire life. Thank you for your services. Have a great day. And Jonnet hands the ferryman too much money. <laughs> Holy fucking shit. Not going to question you, kid. Enjoy your stay. <laughs> they push off. I would like to cut over to Gable. I am very curious, Liz. Mm -hmm. The moment after Gable 
has had all of those memories hit them at once, after the feather has disappeared and become a part of their being, what is Gable's reaction? Are we landed? We've landed. We we don't know how long Gable was out, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Yeah, probably a while. They wake up. <gasps> Blind. Sweaty. Is there a door out? I think you find yourself in Dreff's office. There is a light blanket slung across you, and you are alone. They were on fire. They were just on fire, so they're sweating. They feel for burns and bubbles and loose skin. Just breathing heavy. <sighs> yeah, the the realization strikes you. You weren't on fire. You were fire. Or more accurately, you were something that looked like fire. That really the mind that you have can only understand as fire. In the memory, when you were with it, when you were reliving it and experiencing it, you knew more of what it was. It was instinctual. It's like it's like Jonnet having a third eye. It's a part of him. It's something that can potentially be a part of anyone. Mm-hmm. But you can't know how it feels because it's not in you to know what it feels like to have a third eye. So you remember being a being that it was complete in a different way, uh, experiencing being this cosmic fire. And now you are you, and you have the body that you have. And part of the reality of that body is that fire is a thing that it cannot and should not be. But the fear of that quickly dissipates as you understand the experience. I would love for it to be raining. Of course. Done. Uh, they scramble to the window and fling it open and stick their as much body as they can out into the rain. Once they get outside, like, still not fully realizing, they are open to the air and open to the sky. They look up. And breathe a huge sigh of relief because it's a cloudy night full of thunderstorms and lightning. Which I think, oddly, has always been a comforting thing. And now you understand why. This week's Dear Uhuru comes to us from the folks at Skyjack's Courier's Call. If you haven't started listening to them yet, I highly recommend it. And with that, enjoy. With the glow of the fire before us and our seats properly taken, I think it's time for another story about the fireside. So, 
Who'd like to tell one? Why? My good friends, look, it's, it's Captain Molden Fox School. I didn't know you were going to be here, Molden. I would have had you come down and sit for dinner, but is the Aldrin here with you? There's no need to worry, my dear heart. I'm merely passing through, and I don't have much time, but enough time to tell a story worth the hearing. Now, now, <clears throat> sit you all down, especially you, my good, good sir, and relax. Greetings, my dear hearts. As Mr. Coriander said, I'm Captain Molden Foxskull, Captain of the Black Aldrin, and my story happened many, many years ago when I was just a youth of... Oh, goodness, how old was I? Mr. Coriander, how old was I when I was on the Yellow Aldrin and you were still captain? Oh, my goodness gracious, uh, that was years ago. You were 18, maybe? 19? Oh, you were such a sharp young thing then, at the crack of a whip. <laughs> goodness, goodness, that seems just like yesterday, doesn't it? Time, Mr. Coriander, flows so mysteriously. Fast this second and slow the next. A day can feel like an eternity, and a lifetime but a moment. Yes, now that I think of it, I'm sure you were right. I was about eighteen or nineteen when I was on the Yellow Audron. Uh, an initiate under the Yellow Audron's star watcher, a man by the name of Bulgare. Now, one particular occasion... I was requested to deliver a parcel to a privateer vessel that was currently in flight. Honestly, nothing remarkable, but definitely urgent. And I saddled my bird and took flight immediately, promising to return before the Yellow Order and landed at our next destination. The flight was pleasant and unremarkable, and I delivered a large parcel without delay. In fact, I had some extra time on my hands and learned that aboard this particular privateer vessel, a trade vessel, mind you, they celebrated a curious tradition. At a particular point in their two-year route, they would come to a strange river that flowed uphill. They would follow this river for a single night, and the captain swore to me that when they followed that river, they arrived at their next destination an entire day early. And so they followed it. And during this single night, the whole crew would stay awake. They would drink and feast, tell stories and play games and dance. It was a right smashing party, they said. Now, as I was a student of the arcane, the whole thing smelt strongly of magic. And I asked if I could join in the celebration. They readily agreed. And there I found myself standing about a brazier of fire with a warm drink in my hands, a song on my lips, and a dancing skip in my heart. It was a jolly good time. At least it, uh, it started that way. As we feasted and danced, there came a stranger upon the deck of the ship. He appeared as suddenly and mysteriously as anything I'd ever seen. One moment, an empty corner, and the next, there he was. And he was enormous. Eight feet tall and as broad as a door, but wrapped in a thick wool cloak with his hood up. He stepped forth from the shadows, walking slowly out of his little corner, and came straight up to my fire, that I and a few others stood about, and no sooner had he done so, but all about us, 
festivities immediately halted, having seen this giant come into our presence. May I warm myself by your fire, he asked. For a moment, no one responded, and I, the foolish youth that I was, but still confident in my arcane training, said, Of course, our fire belongs to all who bring no ill will upon this ship and its crew. And the giant man nodded once and pulled his hood to reveal his face. And it was green, not the shade or woody texture of a green heart, but like that of tarnished copper. And he smiled and reached his bluish-green hands across the fire and placed them almost into the coals themselves. At this point, the captain came forward and demanded an explanation, but the giant did not answer them. In fact, it seemed as if the giant could not hear them, but turned to me and said, May I have something to drink? My throat is so dry. I motioned at that moment for the captain and the rest of the crew to sit back. And I told the giant, yes, you may, for there is always drink for those that wish no ill towards this ship and its crew. And we brought the giant a bucket full of the wine the crew and myself had been drinking. A giant man raised the bucket into the air and cried, a toast. And we all likewise raised our cups. A toast, the giant said again, to the Empire and our beloved Imprax. May they live a thousand years under the light of the Sovereign. And he drank the whole bucket in a single gulp. And the rest of the crew went to take their drink, but I raised my hand and I stopped them immediately. And when I'd made sure none of them drank, I myself took a small sip. Now at this, the giant's eyes narrowed at me, but he sat quiet and in silence. And I turned to the captain and I asked, Is this how this usually goes? And they said, no, no, this was new. This had never happened before. And they wondered who this giant might be. Now, I could not have been sure at the time that I had heard stories in the northern parts of the rediscovered world about a great empire that stood there before the stars fell and of the ruins that they had left behind of whole cities made of copper and brass. Now, the stories of this empire had mostly been lost to the world when the stars fell. But there was one story that I, and I'm sure every Arana knew, and that was of the ship called the Vedantia. They say the Vedantia was the first ship to ever take to the skies without the aid of Featherweave. They say the Vedantia was to be the great might of this long-forgotten empire, but that it suddenly and mysteriously disappeared right before the stars fell. They say that the Skyjacks of the North had seen the Vedantia in their skies, held aloft by light and wreathed in flame, and that if any ship got too close, they were never heard from again. Now, I could not be sure, mind you, but I surmised that this fellow must have been from the Vedantia, and so I determined that I would ask him, and I opened my mouth, but barely had I done so, and the giant said to me, May we play a game? And I replied, yes, but only to those who will not seek ill will upon this ship or her crew may play. The giant frowned at me for a long moment, but then he brightened and nodded his agreement. And I stood forth and said, three times we have agreed to your requests, and three times you have agreed to mine. You are bound to bring no ill to this ship 
and its crew. Do you understand? And the giant smiled and nodded and said, I understand, and I've sworn three times, little magician, that I will bring no ill to the ship or her crew, but you are not of this ship or this crew. And the giant's smile widened to show brass teeth sharpened to points. And he said, You and I will play, and the winner will live and walk upon the ground and smell the grass and feel the cool wind in their face, and the loser will go and crew upon the Vedantia forever. And with that, the giant put forth his mighty hand that I might shake it. The crew was silent, mouths agape, and hearts failing them, as I reached forward to take the giant's hand, but pulled it back and said, But I will choose the game, and then, slyly, I shook it. At this, the giant frowned, his greenish face masked suddenly in rage, but he shook my hand with teeth clenched. What shall we play? he asked. And I pulled out my luminary deck and explained that each of us would pull one card and whichever fortune was more favorable would win. I held up my deck to him and he pulled a single card and then I pulled mine, not looking at mine, before making a, a gesture in his direction. And the giant took this to show his card and with too wide a grin, he showed me he had pulled the changeling. Not the best card, mind you. Not the best fortune. But not the worst, either. And then he motioned for me to show my card. And with a trembling hand, I held up my card, not looking at it, mind you, and threw it and the rest of my deck over the side as it floated into the wind, lost in the darkness forever. The crew gasped, and the giant roared that I had cheated him. But I reminded the giant that the game was to draw cards. I never specified we had to show them. He had done that on his own. And as such, we could now only speculate what fortune I had drawn, for I had never looked at it. Therefore, neither of us won, and yet neither of us had lost. The giant stood and screamed at me and raised the bucket to smash my skull. But just as he had done that, a light began to creep over the side of the ship. At first I thought it was dawn, but it was too close and far too hot. And from over the side of our vessel rose like a beast from an age long past, beyond description, a ship that rode upon light and was wreathed in flame. It was the Vedantia itself. And the giant's anger melted away. And he ran for the opposite side of the ship to escape, to fling himself into the darkness. But no sooner had he made it to the railing, but there was a flash of blinding light, a wave of heat, and the scream of the giant as he was pulled back to the Vedantia. And as suddenly as it had appeared, it was gone, leaving only a scorch mark on the wooden deck and spots dancing in front of our eyes. And to this day, to this day, mind you, my friends, I have kept that changeling card as a reminder to myself that sometimes the best way to win is to never play at all. Goodness, by the lumens, Malden. What a fantastic story. 
Thank you. You know, that is one of my favorites. Oh, I know, old friend. Now, if you will excuse me, I must be off. I say, is this mug made of silver? I do believe it is. Do you mind if, um, I hang on to it, then? Of course not, Mulder. It's yours. Excellent. Good night, my dear hearts. Be safe. Be good. But most of all, be wondrous. Campaign Skyjacks is a one-shot network production. For more information, be sure to follow us on Twitter over at CampaignPod for updates about live shows and other events we might be doing. Welcome to Character Creation Cast, a show where we create and discuss characters, the best part of role-playing games, with guests using their favorite systems. I'm one of your hosts, Ryan Bolter. And I'm your other host, Amelia Antrim. Join us as we sit down with game designers, podcasters, and fans of games as we dive into learning about different RPGs through the lens of character creation. It's a combination of character building, player advice, game design insights, and even a little bit of fan fiction for a different game every month. We tackle a variety of new and old games, both well-known and indie-produced titles. We learn how creating characters can tell us a lot about the games themselves. Check us out today anywhere you can get podcasts or on the OneShot Podcast Network at OneShotPodcast.com. You can find more great gaming shows over at OneShotPodcast.com. Like Character Creation Cast. Character Creation Cast is a discussion podcast where Amelia Antrim and Ryan Bulletier create characters in multiple role-playing games with prominent guests from around the game's community. Each month, Character Creation Cast examines the character generation process in-depth in a different game with new guests each series. They always take the time to reflect on the game, its design, and what guests have to say about it. Think of it as sitting in on a great session zero every week. Jonnet Kessler was played by Tyler Davis, who can be found on Twitter and Instagram at Tyler A. Dave. He also co-stars and consults on Showtime's Work in Progress. Gable was played by Liz Anderson, who can be found on Twitter at Liz Anderson underscore underscore underscore, or on her podcast, Paired. Travis Matigo was played by Johnny O'Mara, who can be found on Twitter at Johnny and Briefs, or on his podcasts, Bill Buds and Dilettante Ball. Captain Oromar Vale was played by Nathan Blades, who can be found on Twitter at PhantomArtsENT. You can also find them streaming on twitch.tv slash theneoncaster. I am James D'Amato, your host and game master. You can find me on Twitter at OneShotRPG or on my other podcast, OneShot. The original music featured in this podcast was written, composed, and performed by Arnie Parrott. You can find him on Twitter over at A-R-N-E... P-A-R-R-O-T-T. You can find more of his work at atptunes.com. This episode was edited by Casey Tony, who can be found on Twitter at Casey Pony, or on his podcast, Neoscum. Our logo was designed by Fiona Shea, who can be found on Twitter at Fiona Pup. 
The World of Sphere was inspired in part by the music of the Decemberists, and Illimat, produced by Together Studios. This show uses a modified version of the Genesis role-playing system, designed by Sam Stewart and a team of talented professionals who were fired by the private equity firm owning Fantasy Flight Games. To the strangers who've ever been kind, and once for our friends near to rise. Twice to the dearest we're leaving behind, who know we can never deny the call of the sky.